Welcome to Boomeranging, from expat to repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in each episode, I will sit down with a former Aussie expat to discuss how they survived repatriation and reverse culture shock, how they navigated the logistics of careers, friends, and family to successfully find their new place at home, and all without losing their global spirit. If you have just returned home, are thinking about it, or just love a good yarn told by professional globetrotters, then I have no doubt you'll enjoy meeting this diverse group of Australians. Kissed on the backside by an angel was how Andy Whitford described the offer to come home to head up the international consultancy he was working for, and all in the middle of COVID. After more than 15 years living in Shanghai and Hong Kong, and six years in the UK previously, Andy was all too aware of how hard it was going to be to continue his career back home. Despite being a key connector of Australian businesses in Asia, attempts to bring this network and expertise to Australia had previously been met with a response that could really only be described as lukewarm at best. Parachuting into Australia with a job has now provided him a platform for the next stage of his career. Having repatriated back to Australia twice, I'm interested to find out if Andy thinks the market has changed, if he thinks Australian employers are beginning to embrace the Asian expertise that many Aussies are bringing home, and if not, what does he think has to shift to make this happen? So welcome, Andy. Thanks, Margot. Great to be with you. Yeah. Where are we chatting with you today? Well, with the, with most of Australia being in lockdown, I'm I'm currently coming to you from my home in Melbourne. Although I I, I do spend most of my week in Sydney, but with uh, Sydney poor old Sydney being currently locked down. Yeah, Melbourne's cut a break this time, I think. So um, it seems quite strange with the rest of the country in lockdown. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So as we've just heard, you've had an extensive international career with um, a couple of mid to long-term stints abroad. Do you think you were always destined for a life overseas or was this something that sort of took you by surprise? Um, I guess I've always, would always have described myself as a gypsy. Uh, Okay. having Having been brought up in Perth and then moving from Perth to Sydney and then Sydney to Melbourne, I guess it was inevitable that um, I would eventually find myself overseas. So it was from Melbourne I went to, to London in 96 and I, and I went, left, left Melbourne with a, with a suitcase and uh, I returned from, from London six years later with a 40-foot sea container, a wife and a child. So it's, it's amazing how, how things can change. Did you initially go to London the first time with an opportunity or was that something that you sort of engineered yourself? No, it was. I was working for one of the Australian banks at the time and they wanted to open, uh, set up and establish uh, a business in the UK the same as what I was doing uh, in Melbourne. So I got the opportunity to go up to London to, to establish that business for, for one of the banks. So can you just give us a quick insight into, I guess, what your career path is or what, what, what it was that you were doing when you went up there? Yeah, so look, I've spent over 30 years uh, in financial services working in, in banking after having spent a very short period of time in chartered accounting, but we won't go there. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, so I was, I, was, I was in structured finance, doing structured finance for 
um, National Australia Bank here in Melbourne, and they wanted to replicate that business in London. And so they wanted to hire a number of locals, but they also wanted to have a senior person up there who I guess knew and understood the bank and knew and understood what the bank's um, uh, risk appetite and and risk parameters and so forth were. So I got this opportunity, as I said, at, at the time, a single guy to go up to London, uh, which was just fantastic. And it was fantastic in terms of being able to go and live in, and work in London, but also it was fantastic because it was the first opportunity I had to go and establish a business from scratch. Um, yeah, amazing. Which is something that sort of has followed me with my career a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, no, it was just fantastic. You had to go up to London uh, at the time, a you know, really exciting time. Uh, the, um, the, you know, the UK market, Europe, North America were, were really strong and great opportunities. And, you know, as again, as, a, as, an, as an Aussie in London at that time, it was just a great time to be, to be living in, uh, in the UK. So work was good, life was good. Um, you had six years there. What um, what prompted the the move back? Was that simply that the opportunity demanded that you come back to Australia, or how did that unfold? Yeah, no. Well, so as I alluded, I mean, I went up to London as a as a single guy, and I met my now wife in London uh, halfway through that stint, and we had our we had um my son was born in in the UK. Tragically, I was in New York um, on September 11, and Ooh, right. uh, and the you know, and I was locked down in, in in New York as a lot of us were who were there travelling. Um, you know, I was unable to speak to my wife for a number of days because the telephone telephone systems were down. You know, so by the time I got back to London, you know, you sort of have reassessed a, a few things in your life having having gone through that experience. I mean, I mean, I was lucky because we were in Midtown when when the towers collapsed, but we were there, I was there doing a transaction with one of the, um, the big investment banks, which was actually located downtown and which was occupying one of the buildings that um, was attached to the, the World Towers. And, you know, we had a meeting, you know, that afternoon with that bank in their offices. But, you know, so you kind of go, you know, uh, you, you're grateful for the fact that there's clearly um, a higher being and, you know, with, with luck. Um, but yeah. obviously a lot of the people were tragically um, not as lucky as I was and it was, it was a pretty horrific experience and still something that, you know, you, you can't, I still kind of raise from my mind having, you know, I was literally in a boardroom, in our lawyer's boardroom in Midtown when I saw the, uh, the tower collapse the towers, I guess. Oh, wow. Collapsed. It was just like a domino. It was like surreal. Yeah, it was so surreal for all of us watching it on TV. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be there, you know. It, it was. It was. And then when we, you know, we were, we were in this lawyer's boardroom, you know, we had the TVs on for the large part of the day. And when we eventually left the building and we were sort of just numb, you know, you walk out onto the streets mm. and there wasn't panic. But you had people just wandering around, effectively walking in circles, not knowing where to go. Because a lot of, you know, um, Manhattan being an island, a lot of people couldn't get off the island. You know, I eventually got our, my way back to the hotel that I was staying in 
And yeah, it was just weird. It was just a, a strange, strange experience. So anyway, so um, <laughs> we don't want to sort of delve onto that. But 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 the reason we we re- repatriated was it was after the it was off the back of that. You know, when I got back to New York, we we reassessed what was going on. My my wife's mother um, uh, was diagnosed with cancer, secondary cancer, and you know. Literally, you know, my wife and I was just sitting on the couch and we just looked at each other without really saying anything. We just sort of nod and said, yep, it's time. Uh, and so that was that was the reason that sort of brought us back to Australia. Mm-hmm. Did you return with the bank? Uh, look, I returned with the bank and uh, in typical bank fashion, uh, first day back on the job, they, uh, they told me that... Uh, Thank you, but no, thank you. There's, there was just no opportunity, so I, you know, I, I got, I was, uh, got made redundant, and which, you know, which was expected. To be honest, uh, I think one of the things that I have learnt, having led teams of people in offshore locations, working for big organisations, is that they're just incredibly bad at managing repatriations, and I'm, I'm yet to think of a person in the. The period of time that I've been living and working overseas, who has actually repatriated back with a with a really good role, you know, it's it's yep. it's really quite sad that you know, I can't even point to one person. Yeah, it is. It's so um, confronting, really, to hear to hear that because I think that look, we all know the reality is that Australia is a small market, but it's just the talent and skills that, and the knowledge and the networks and everything that just walks out the door when um, when people are made redundant upon their return. And it's the cost, right? The 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 amount of money that companies spend. Uh, sending people into offshore locations, and you know the the two organisations that I worked for that that um, sent me offshore. You know their 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 mantra always was, "We're going to send our best people." There's no point um, sending the B team if you want to be successful offshore. You need to send your very best people, and so the caliber of the people that these organisations have sent. Um, not just these organisations that I've worked for, but other expats that I've met, you know, have always been incredibly high calibre uh, and entrepreneurial type of people. And, you know, these organisations invest heavily in them and their families and in their careers while they're overseas. And then, you know, they just they decide at the end of the, when time's up, that they just cannot or do not have the capacity to be able to bring them home and and find appropriate roles for them, which I, you know, if it happened once, you go, okay, well, that's just, you know, just luck, but it's it's systemic. Yeah, it's the repeated over and over again. And then, you know, then you see the cycle of where people are made redundant and then they get brought back in again. And it's like, you know, the duplication of cost and the time and it's, it's extraordinary. So, so you're made redundant. Um, mm-hmm. You've come back after this six years of, you know, fantastic um, life and career time. How did you find the market when you returned? So this would have been early 2000, I think you said 2002, yeah? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I um, came home uh, 2002 and basically, you know, because part of the reason that we wanted to come home was because of my mother-in-law's um, health, and so we decided we wanted to home nurse her at home. So, so for the f- so for the first twelve months, uh, I decided I'd take that time off. My son was two. You know, it was fabulous. You know, taking him to daycare, 
yeah, picking him up, going playing in the in the park, um, and all that sort of thing. Opportunity that I I look back now and just think how how lucky was I to be able to do that. Uh, and again, and I would encourage anybody who gets an opportunity between gigs if they if they can do it and they can afford it to be able to do it to do it because it's it's such a big opportunity and uh, and I you know I just thoroughly enjoyed it. But, you know, so then when I, at the end of that sort of 12 months, when I said, okay, now I need to get serious about finding a role. And I was very clear in my, in my own mind, I was very clear that coming back into Australia, having been doing specialised finance, structured finance, which, which was tax-based finance, that that was going to be very hard to get back into doing that type of work in Australia because of the market had changed. Um, and also because I wanted to broaden my my horizons and my, and my skill set, I just the one thing I hadn't done in banking was coverage banking or relationship management. So I decided that I wanted to stay within banking, but I wanted to go and look for a role uh, as a relationship banker. And I didn't think it was going to be a walk in the park, but I thought that you know, I would be able to definitely get in front of people and get the opportunity to present my case and find opportunities and. I was just, it was like hitting a brick wall every single time. Like you'd go and talk to search firms and, you know, the first thing they would say was, you know, look, you've been out of the country for six years. Who do you actually know here? Mm. You know, what's your, what's your Rolodex like? And you try to explain to people that, uh, you know, whilst my Rolodex might be a little bit thin, might actually be very thin, you know, the fact is I've been overseas for six years. I've gone into a market where I knew absolutely no one and I've grown a business that has been highly successful, developed relationships, you know, been able to be profitable. So, so, so the skills that are required to be able to develop those relationships and those networks and so forth are all there. And, you know, coming back into Australia, I would just do exactly what I had done overseas. And you'd think mm, that, mm. that people would sort of test that and go, okay, well, that makes sense and, you know, that's interesting and so forth. But it was just you just get closed down, and I found it really frustrating that uh, nobody would, was prepared to to try to sort of look under the hood at what your skills were, what your personality was like, and whether you you know you would be able to, to succeed. And it's that composition of skills, isn't it? You know, I think sometimes we're so narrow in how we look at skill sets. And I um, remember Ben Deguara on his chat podcast saying, you know, but when he came back from England, one of the challenges he had was that nobody asked how they came, the skill sets came together and how he'd actually delivered on things. And I think that that's a very common objection that people run into. And it's, where's your Australian experience Where's your Australian network? And it's it's a barrier that people just come up with time and time again. I guess I'm interested. You spent about six years, did you say, at home, and then you um, then you went to Shanghai. Mm. It was your next move. Um, how did that unfold? And was that a quick and easy decision to make in terms of going overseas again, or were you like, actually, you know what? I've just spent all this time rebuilding. Do I not go? Like, what was the deliberation? <laughs> Yeah, great question, Margot. Because um, because I eventually uh, got a gig working for Westpac yeah. uh, in Australia, and and I was really lucky. You know, for for all of the, the the negative comments that I just made, the guy that hired me into Westpac, incredible guy. He was the only person that I met through that whole job hunting process who actually could see the skills that I had, and 
what I could bring to the table. And uh, he hired me as a coverage banker and he said, look, I can teach you uh, how to be a coverage banker, but what I can't teach you is all of the, the technical knowledge that you have from, you know, a 20-odd year career in banking and doing all these sort of interesting things and having offshore experience and, you know, we're going to, you're going to be dealing with uh, multinational clients gave me uh, a portfolio of Asian clients to look after, you know, because uh, I had had overseas experience. So, so you know, he, act, you know, this guy absolutely could see what I brought to the table. So I joined Westpac and absolutely loved it, a great organisation, and it, this guy was a great boss. And then uh, about, um, as you said, you know, about four years or five years into the role, uh, Westpac decided they wanted to open up a presence in mainland China. So they were looking for somebody to go to, to Shanghai. And one of the criteria that they were looking for was someone who had had overseas experience. So they wanted to, they wanted to hire somebody uh, who had lived overseas, understood cultural differences and so forth. Ideally, they were looking for someone with Asian experience. Uh, we, you know, went went through a, a formal process and ultimately got offered the role. And I can remember, you know, when I I was offered it and driving home with my wife from work. So from the time it took from getting from the city to Manly, where we were living at the time, by the time we we pulled into the driveway in Manly, uh, there was absolutely one hundred percent support and <laughs> from both of us that this is what we wanted to do: go back, go back overseas and. Um, Fantastic. Uh, you know, there was just, there was, you know, no second thinking about it. In fact, you know, we accepted the role and went to, uh, to accept the role without ever having been to China before. Um, mm-hmm. We did get the opportunity to go and do a, a look-see trip, but, you know, it was a bit of a joke because we already were committed. The look-see trip was really was to find a house and, um, mm. and find a school. Yeah, sort the logistics out. So you you have then fifteen years not in China, but in between Shanghai and um, Hong Kong. Correct. Um, and with Westpac the whole time. Uh, not the whole time. So I was with um, I was uh, I started off with Westpac in Shanghai, and then uh, the role changed, and I was relocated to to Hong Kong. So I was of the fifteen years that I was in. Um, Greater China, thirteen of which was with Westpac. So you you made a transition, uh, a career transition from abroad. You moved from Westpac um, to the organisation that you're currently with now. Can you just give us a quick snapshot as to what that looks like? What what it is that you do today, and what you did in Hong Kong with them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I guess after thirty five years in banking, um, and when I left Westpac, you know, I decided that. We wanted my wife and I decided we wanted to stay in Hong Kong, uh, and I got approached by a search firm to to test my interest in whether I would like to do another startup uh, for a for a global consultancy business. And this consultancy business is involved in um, uh, opinion research, running corporate uh, corporate campaigns, public relations. Uh, lobbying, those type of activities. So something completely left field from from banking. And, you know, I kept on saying to these guys, I don't understand why, you know, you, why you're even talking to me and what the interest in me is. But the way they described it to me was that they were attracted to me because they wanted somebody who had 
lived and worked in the region for a long time and knew and understood it and yeah. had and had a Rolodex. Um, and also they wanted someone who had done a startup before and, of course, I'd done a number of those. And, again, these guys said to me, um, and I said, well, look, I don't understand anything about, you know, opinion research and running campaigns or public relations or marketing and, and all the other sort of activities that the firm does. And it's a really fascinating and interesting firm and a great job. And again, the, 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 the founder of the firm and the CEO, he just said to me, he said, he said, look, I will, I will bring you to London and you'll spend a month in the London office and we will teach you everything you need to know. And when we set up the business in Hong Kong, I will send one of my best people out of London to come, come with you to help set it up. And Fantastic. They, they did all that. And uh, so I established this firm in Hong Kong uh, for this uh, global consultancy and uh, it was just fantastic. And you know, we built the business up and, uh, and then in December they asked whether I would relocate to, to Sydney where we've got quite a big office to, to uh, take responsibility for Australasia. So, And was that a surprise or, do, I mean, were you thinking that, coming back to Australia was on the radar? No, I mean, you know, I, I, again, I always, when I took this role, my view always was you know, because of, you know, that knowing what the challenges would be like to repatriate, that this would be probably my my last full-time gig. And, you know, I, again, I felt quite lucky to be offered the role in Hong Kong, particularly such an interesting role. Uh, mm. And, you know, I thought that I would see out my um, full-time working life uh, in that role. And, um, you know, so the opportunity to come home with a job uh, was, uh, as I said, you know, I felt like I was kissed on the, on the backside by a fairy because it just yeah. it's just so rare to come back into a really good job with a great company, a company that I really respect and like. Uh, just been fantastic. Yeah, amazing, amazing. I know that in one of our earlier conversations, I mean, you shared that your original plan um, was to embark upon a portfolio career from Hong Kong. That was sort of how you thought um, your career journey would, in the latter years, would unfold. Um, And that would be family office, boards, etc. Tell us about your experience pursuing board options from uh, Hong Kong. Yeah, no, I thought that, um, you know, as I said, you know, we decided we wanted to stay in Hong Kong and initially I thought, well, it was time to sort of see whether I could get my golf, my golf swing hat. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and the idea of sort of being, being staying in Hong Kong but remaining um, deeply connected back to Australia was really important to me. So I thought if I could get a career going where I could do a couple of, um, get on a couple of advisory boards, you know, I'm, I'm involved with the advisory board centre. Um, mm-hmm. Get on some some governance boards. Do a bit of a bit of consulting. Uh, you know, it would be the the best of both worlds. And I and I genuinely thought, and I still believe to this day that that my thinking is right. That for Australian companies that have interests, um, whether it's investments or trading or whatever, in the region, to have directors who actually um, understand the region are on the ground is and should be really attractive. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, and to me it was like a no-brainer, right? I could be in Hong Kong, I could travel yeah. easily into mainland China, you know, be able to provide, you know, timely on-the-ground on the information about what was happening um, and so forth. And, you know, if it was a company that had operations in, in China, you know, you could obviously 
provide assistance to, to local management. And, you know, everybody I spoke to, they just, they just shook their head and they said, you know, we, do, you know, not interested. And, and two headhunters, um, both said to me, effectively used the same language. And they said, look, if you are genuinely serious about wanting to get on Australian company boards, get on a plane and go home because directors want to be able to ring you up and meet you at the club for a chat rather than, and have that convenience rather than pick up the phone or a Zoom call and talk to you because you are uh, overseas. And I just felt that was incredibly disappointing. And when I think about all of the talent that I have met, you know, in my 15 years in, in Asia, and there's a lot of really talented Australians who are already who are still in China uh, and in Hong Kong and in Singapore who could add so much value. And there are people like, you know, similar to myself who have spent a large amount of time, they've had long and successful careers, and they could they could bring, you know, a lot of intelligence, you know, you know, in terms of what's happening on the ground. And the fact that we're in the 20, year 2021 and yeah. we're still having this conversation um, I, I think it's really strange, and you know, in, and in fact, you know, I'll give a plug to a, to a, a mate of mine, you know, in um, in Shanghai. You know, there's a guy called Peter Arkell uh, in uh, in Shanghai, and he's just set up an, uh, an organisation called the G. E. Morrison Institute, which is basically an organisation predominantly Australian expats or Australians who are living in China or have lived in China and, and have had senior roles to try to help build and develop relationships between Australia and China. Um, you know, obviously, the, the relationship between Australia and China at the moment is, is, is strained. But, you know, being able to capture all of this talent and use it for the, for the benefit of helping at a geopolitical level, um, I think is, is where we should be sort of starting to think and focus a little bit more. Yeah, I'm, and I'm interested why you think the barriers are there. I mean, is it parochial thinking at its best or is it um you know just not being open to the way changing way of work and the way in which business is is happening um what do you think is at the heart of those barriers um look i think the barriers change the barriers change over over time you know so when you look at the barriers today um you know i think when you talk to a lot of people about asia generally and China more specifically, it's just like, you know, they roll their they roll their eyebrows and they sort of go, oh, look, it's just all too hard. Mm. Um, uh, and, yes, it is hard, but just because it's hard, does that mean that you should just stop thinking or trying to, um, to, to change and see where we can sort of rebuild relationships on, and, and help to develop opportunities in in the market. I mean, Asia is still an incredibly large and important market and will continue to be an incredibly large and important market to Australia, uh, you know, for the fullness of time. Absolutely. uh, And, you know, I do get very frustrated, Margot, by the short-sightedness and just this lack of uh, wanting to engage because it's, you know, potentially it's not, sexy at the moment to to be engaged around asia and, and and china and and i think that you know is probably the best way i can describe think and yeah. sort of uh analyze why 
there are these sort of barriers. So you've you've now repatriated twice. You came back. It was it was really only March, April, wasn't it? This year that you were finally back. I finished my seventh week of quarantine at the end of uh, the end of March. So I've, you know, I've been back now for three months. Do you think Australia is getting better at accepting, I don't know, expats with international experience? I mean, it's only a three-month window and insight, I know, but I'd just be interested to hear what your initial thoughts are as to how people have responded to your background and experience, albeit with a job. Yeah, look, do I feel that things have changed much since I was last here 15 years ago? Probably not, um, is, is the honest answer. You know, I think the... You know, the best advice people have given me both times when I've repatriated is, uh, you know, find other expats uh, to socialise with if you want to be able to talk about and share your experiences. People who haven't been expats just don't want to know or hear about what your experiences are. So, you know, that hasn't changed. Um, Socially and professionally? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of people, there's, it is very parochial here, and people kind of go, well, you know, that might have worked in the UK or that might have worked in, in Hong Kong or China, but you know, this is Australia and, you know, it's, it's done this way and we've always done it this way and we'll continue to do it that way. And, again, it's, it's, I guess it's not, there's not that same level of openness and willingness to sort of try and understand how you might be able to do things better. And, again, you know, with, because of COVID, you know, we've seen an incredible number of expats return and the amount of talent out there and some of the people I've met and some of their experiences and you know I'm sure you've met a lot more um, than I have but mm. I've been blown away by the level of talent uh, and everybody I speak to uh, has found it quite difficult to, to to settle back in particularly professionally in trying to find an appropriate role and, and a lot of people were sort of just saying well I'm prepared to compromise significantly compromise just to get back on the horse. Uh, and, again, I think that's really, really sad. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that our challenge is really will we retain these people long term because I think that many will rebound overseas and that will be our loss if we're not if we're not going to um, to embrace that experience and, and knowledge, as we said, and, and networks. I think it's the networks that are quite phenomenal that can fast-track things as well. What do, what do you think has to change? But, but, yeah, agreed. And also, you know, people have been you know, overseas and they've, you know, done startups in techs or insurance techs or yeah. uh, whatever. And, you know, what we should be doing is sort of saying to these people, hey, you know, why don't you come and do a startup here and bring some yeah. of that knowledge and technology and uh, entrepreneurial spirit, you know. Um, Back in. Uh, yeah. Home. And I do think that um, it is often, it can be a slow path to find it, but there are a lot of expats who do find a home in the startup landscape because their experience is valued um, and yep. sought after um, there. And it's okay, the difference is embraced rather than shunned, um, which I think is really important. I mean, what do you think has to change? Or, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we're obviously missing an opportunity. Um but is it just that we're a small market or are there things that we can be proactively doing and thinking about or advocating for? It's a great question and, unfortunately, I'm not sure that I've got a, a ready answer for you. I mean, yeah. I, mean I think we, we need organisations like the AICD 
uh, and some of these other professional bodies who have a large number of their members who are, you know, people like myself uh, and mm-hmm. others who have come back from overseas, that they should be embracing uh, those sort of their members who have got overseas experience and trying to promote uh, a, cha- a, a, a change of, of attitude and mindset within within broader membership base around wanting to uh, encourage people to sort of think about these returning expats and the skills and the benefits that they that, that they can bring to respective organisations. You know, it's, obviously, a lot of these sort of changes have got to start at the top. Absolutely, yeah. You know, what what can, what can government do in terms of trying to embrace the the, the talent uh, that has returned home? I mean, I, I can remember uh, being in Shanghai about you know ten years ago, eleven years ago, when John Key was the then New Zealand Prime Minister, and uh, he was speaking at a at a New Zealand Chamber of Commerce event or something along those lines, and he was basically pleading with the expats in in Shanghai to come home because New Zealand needed and wanted that talent to return and to bring the skills that they had learned overseas back come to come back to New Zealand. You know, why can't we in Australia be sort of thinking the same way as, you know, th- this talent is already here because a lot, so much of it has returned. How do we take this, this pool of talent and ensure that we can help it to integrate back into opportunities here? And I think it's really showcasing the links, isn't it? You know, I think that that's what, you know, people who come back and who run into walls here, you know, even from an individual perspective, it's about helping hiring managers, search providers, et cetera, see the links and the value that can be added um, because I don't think that people naturally equate it. And I think that you're right. I think it has to happen from a top-down level, a government level. We've got to start telling good news stories and showcasing the opportunities and the wins that we as a community and as a business community have at our fingertips if we choose to accept them um, rather than the fear of what is sitting offshore, um, but to, to see it as a win. Yeah, and, and we've already got half the win, Margot, because, you know, the talent's here. It's here now, right? You yeah. Know, um, you know, there's all sorts of different numbers being floated around about how many have returned, but the talent is here. We shouldn't be shy of sort of trying to reach out to it and try to find opportunities because that's, that's going to be good for the individuals, but more importantly, will be good for corporations, organisations and the country. Yeah, it's that curiosity, isn't it? You know, of what could be. Yeah, getting the conversation going. Yeah, and 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 I guess you're, and I guess that's what you're doing, right? I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, to, to you and and sync, right? Because you're you're trying to create that bridge. Um, which Absolutely, is really, which is really really important, but it's a bloody long bridge. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> And sometimes we feel we're just over the other side and other times we feel like we're back on the bank. But um, (laughs) uh, we still keep going. So, yeah. So, whilst I appreciate that, you know, you have really only recently returned, what does life look like for you today? Um, Look, I'm I'm really happy. It's it's great to be back. You you know, look, there are are obviously challenges in in returning, you know, uh, I think I'm still in the honeymoon phase, you know, still reconnecting yep. <laughs> with, with old friends and um, mm-hmm. just getting back and exploring old neighbourhood and and doing things that you used to enjoy. And, you know, look, sadly, um, having left Hong Kong, I mean, Hong Kong is a very different place to what it was when I first went to Hong Kong, you know, 10-odd years ago. So, you know, yes, I definitely miss 
friends and and different parts of Hong Kong. But, you know, I think in reflection, I was ready to move on and have found it, it fantastic to be home and for, for all those reasons. It's the first time, you know, it's little things. Like it's the first time in seven years that the whole family have been together. Um, so, you know, it's, not, it's nice from that perspective. So your son's in Australia. He's doing uni in Australia or school in Australia, yeah. Yeah, he came down here from boarding school and, and then stayed for university. So so that's nice that we've all sort of reconnected again. But, you know, it's – and like I think my wife has found it probably a little bit harder to um, to settle back in. She's been back longer than I have. But, you know, net, net, yeah, no, it feels great to be back. Yeah, fantastic. And so what are you most looking forward to in terms of reestablishing things here? Is there, you know, the golf swings being worked on, is it? <laughs> well, the golf swing, yes, I'll be working on the golf swing. Um, the benefit of being back is it allows me to, um, you know, throw myself into this new role, which, I'm, which so far I'm really enjoying, lockdowns permitting. Uh, but also it, it's, it's, you know, you know, I turned 60 this year, so it's a great opportunity to be back in Australia, to be able to re- re-establish my network, building new um, and, and broader network to create opportunities, not just for now, but, you know, in, into the future and, you know, what my next career might be after, after this one. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I'm sure you're the envy of many. I mean, I speak to many expats who are sitting offshore and and really keen to have their final swan song, if you like, of a role in Australia and finding the opportunity to do that um, is just, you know, proving to be quite difficult. So um, I think it's fantastic that you have done that and congratulations because I think that that's um, that's a, a major, major win. Yeah, no, thank you. I, yeah, I... Uh, I, I'm very appreciative, absolutely, of, of, of that opportunity. And, and, you know, I do really feel for so many of the expats who are have already returned home and are, are struggling. And if I can help any of them, you know, I'm more than happy for anyone, anyone to reach out to me. Fantastic. And we will, we will put your profile in the show notes and also the profile of the fellow that you were talking about earlier um, who established um, the network in China as well because I think anything that can pull people together from abroad, um, I guess, to find and identify ways of linking back here is really important. So, yeah. Um, now, we like to finish all of our podcasts with five quick questions. Um, so I'm going to put those to you now. Um, it's just a word or statement that comes to mind. So living overseas opened my eyes to? Many opportunities and some some great holidays and, and, and travelling and meeting some incredible people from all over the world. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Expats are good for? Ex- expats have... Um, many skills, but I think in particular tenacity to to go yeah. overseas and live overseas and 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 succeed overseas. You have to have a lot of tenacity uh, because you're going to get knocked back. You're going to have to hit hit against the brick wall for a long period of time before you get that little sort of slither of of, of light and and good luck. And you just got to keep banging away. And I think you know every expat I know. Um, has tenacity, and I think that's a really important skill. Agreed, agreed. And they need it when they come back too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. The best thing I have discovered since arriving home is? Wow. Um, <laughs> for me, the best thing I've discovered since arriving home is, is definitely 
being with my family again, you know, that's clearly something that I really missed uh, and, I, and I love it. Uh, and the other thing that I love is, um, and, you know, particularly having come out of Hong Kong, is I have no cash. don't have to carry any cash with me. Whereas in Hong Kong, <laughs> used to have a wallet full of cash for, for still so many things. But the way everything here is tap and go, um, I'm loving it. Yep. So your back pocket's lighter. <laughs> so I don't need I don't have a wallet. Right? I just got my phone and that's all you need. Yeah, yeah. The first thing I'd encourage a new repat to do is? Um, is reach out to local the local chamber of commerce, you know, in most uh, most of these uh, jurisdictions, particularly in Asia, there are really good chambers of commerce which um, not only provide advocate, not only provide great advocacy and business um, identifying business opportunities, but they're also great networking events, uh, and yeah. also allows you to be part of uh, of the local Australian community and and you know. Whilst you probably don't want to spend, go overseas and be an expat and spend all your time with Australians, it is still very nice to be with other Aussies, um, even if it's just to go and watch the footy with them or or whatever. But, yeah, so um, definitely um, very early on reach out to your Chamber of Commerce um, or other and or other sort of networking organisations to help, help um, fast-track your, your ability to meet people. Yeah, and I think those connections, even if they have been formed overseas, are critical for helping you join the dots here when you come back because people know people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, because the interesting thing is, right, uh, you know, I was heavily involved with the Chamber of Commerce in both Shanghai and in Hong Kong. Um, I had the privilege of being on the board of both those organisations and so was heavily involved in, in both of them and have developed, you know, lifelong friends through them uh, and, you know, people move on and, you know, haven't come back to Australia. Yeah, there's a large number of them that I've been able to reconnect with since I've been back and that's that's really nice. Yeah, fabulous, fabulous. And finally, a word, song or quote that best describes your time overseas? Um, from little things, big things grow. Uh, nice, love it. <laughs> you know, I... I I know it's a, it's a Paul Kelly song. I know it's a protest song, but you know. But when I think about that phrase, you know, from little things, big things can grow. That's I think that best sums up. You know, from the from the first day that I took that Qantas flight to Shanghai to go and open a small branch for Westpac in Shanghai to where I am today. From little things, big things grow. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, thanks so much for your time and your insights. I've loved our chat. Margot, thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, share it with your friends and family, and subscribe for future episodes. For more information on our guests, please head to our website, insyncnetworkgroup.com, where you can check out the show notes and also find more information about our fabulous community and membership offerings.